Really Riley. Really Riley. Really Riley. Really Riley. Really Riley. Really Riley. Are you ready? This is the Really Riley Podcast. Hello, beloveds. Happy Wednesday. Oh my gosh. Why does it always feel like weeks that are after a holiday are the longest ever, even if they're like on Sunday? I think it's probably because my husband had off on Monday and he doesn't usually. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. You have to go to work now? You can't stay home and play with me? Um, but welcome back to Really Riley. Wednesdays are some of my favorite podcasting days, day, whatever, because I get to answer the questions you guys want to ask me. And you guys always come up with the best stuff. Um, it's usually questions about like relationships or have I ever been through this before? Because I think I've lived like 17 lives within my almost 42 years of living and I've done everything backwards. Um, I wouldn't change any of it for any money in the world or anything in the world um, because it's gotten me here. Um, and I really like to be the guinea pig, if you will, <laughs> inspiration or something to do things differently or at least recognize that if you didn't do it the quote right way, which I think that's bullshit anyway, that it's cool. There's really a way out of whatever situation you're in if you have the mindset for it, I think, or at least a better situation. So getting into it, I um, haven't been able to answer a thing. I mean, I, this isn't a bad thing. A lot of the Ask Riley's lately because we've had other interviews on um, or we've just had a lot or we went off on a tangent on one and I really want to get to the questions that you ask me because I really love it when you guys take the time to confide in me some of your stories or be vulnerable enough to ask the questions. And like always, I don't give your guys' name because I don't know that everybody wants their business out there like that. Um, but this one, this first one really hits home for me because I was kind of here at this age, um, going through a breakup at 32, moving into my first apartment alone next month advice. Um, I was actually, yeah, I was 32 years old when my first engagement broke up. It was the second time it broke up. Um, I was engaged to this person twice. This was like 12 years ago. Um, we planned two different weddings. He left me uh, at, for the first one, four months out. We got back together like two or three months ago and actually re-proposed to me on what was our wedding day. Ugh, I remember being so sad that day. And I remember him being really angry with me, with me, you know, and the breakup, like, of course we fought all the time. It was emotionally and physically abusive. We were terrible to each other, you know, um, and it should have been done literally one month in. That was the first time I got physical. And, you know, I got called to see you next Tuesday. And it was just the biggest whirlwind of pain, you know, that I had been through to that point. And I just was very lost. It's funny, not funny, but it's interesting because I always tell my husband, like, I sometimes wish there was a little bit of that naive girl. And I wasn't really a girl. I was like 28 when I met him. But I was so willing to give my heart so vulnerably without any, you know, edge to it or without any, you know, wall up in any way, shape or form. And I wish that I would have had a little bit more of that because everyone says how amazingly my husband treats me. And yes, he does. I'm not saying he doesn't, but I dare I say, demanded that in the beginning. And I'm not talking about 
spoiled with monetary gifts. I wanted to be spoiled with respect. And if I couldn't have that, I didn't want any of it. And by that, I also mean like, I always preach that like, what's the biggest thing that was different with me finding a healthy relationship was me doing inward work too with boundaries and what did I do that was disrespectful or what could I have done differently? Even if it's meaning like respecting or demanding self-love yourself. Um, But yeah, he broke up with me the second time I had moved away from Memphis where I was living. I had gotten a new job and in the process of that, he'd jump back into my life and I like a dumbass said yes. He took me to New Orleans where we, you know, had a lot of good times there. I'd found my wedding dress there and he wanted to take me back there and make it something special and oh my god it was so bad because the first time he proposed he proposed to me in front of a computer in our apartment which I didn't care because I never wanted anything big but the second time we were supposed to go get couples massages and he was waiting for apparently the right moment and I had a stomach ache and I came out of the bathroom after I just took a shit and he was down on one knee <laughs> I mean, I have to laugh because if that wasn't a fucking sign, the first sign should have been that my dog Pink, God bless her soul, who had never bitten anybody in her life to that point or since then, when she first met him, she bit him. And I was the only person in her life she ever bit. All of it should have been signs. But I don't even know. It, it doesn't even have to be a red flag. It, it, it could be like a magenta burning bush and I would ignore it at that point. But yeah, I said yes again. We planned another wedding. And... This time in Nashville where I had moved for my new job and he promised me he was going to move up and he promised me that things were going to change and, you know, we're going to plan the wedding of my dreams all over again. He actually borrowed against his, I think, 401k to pay for the wedding because the first one when I was in Memphis, you know, I was an influencer before there was influencers. I was in radio there and I had a number one morning show. So it's like, a lot of people wanted to get involved so that they could have the marketing for it. Um, So we weren't really paying much for that first wedding. But then the second one, yeah, like he ended up, I mean, breaking up with me again four months before that. And I remember him just raking me through the coals in the last conversation and just trying to pick a fight. I'm like, what are you doing? And it was, you know, you ruined my life. I hate you. I hope you go and do on a live yourself, I guess, you know, and it was traumatic for me. But even in that moment, I was able to tell him like, what you're doing is wrong. And I remember now I remember what the fight started. Like I had posted a picture of my nails, which I still do this day. And I had had my engagement ring on and a bunch of people that had heard the story of our breakup in Nashville because, you know, I always do things on the air and live and open. And I ju- I'd only been there a few months in this new morning show. And I had to take a week off because I was literally just unsure of anything. Of If I, to be honest with you, wanted to, to stay in this world after he said that to me. And I had to now undo all of that again. And I had my ring on and a lot of people were asking, you know, you know, are you guys back together? Is it working out? Cause everybody wants the love story. Right. And they also didn't know all of the abusiveness going on behind the scenes when I had that ring back on before we broke up the second time. And somebody had commented like, Oh, I give it six months. And I'd never seen this person before, but this person was, she was in Memphis and I asked him about it and he went the fuck off. It just, that's what sparked the entire breakup conversation. And he was so visceral about it that I sort of knew there was something else happening. 
I haven't seen here or heard of him since that conversation. Um, but from what I heard throughout the years to the grapevine from friends, cause we had both the same friends, you know, like some of his groomsmen, I was best friends with their wives and whatever, but I think he married that girl. I don't know for certain, but I, he got married like nine months after the breakup. So yeah. And you know what? At this point, I know without a fucking shadow of a doubt that God and the universe knew what they were doing even then. And I wouldn't take away that situation. So on to this person's question about like the breakup at 32 and moving into the apartment alone. Like I was in the apartment that we were supposed to have together. Like it was mine. He was only coming up there like every weekend to see me, but you know, all the things that we had in our apartment together were in that apartment. I was kind of like relying on him just in case, you know, cause I bought, I got an apartment that was way more expensive than I thought I could afford. Thank God I, you know, did well in Nashville for the year and some change that I was there with, you know, radio endorsements and stuff. So I was okay, but I was very scared. Like, what am I going to do? I'm broken hearted and now I'm going to be broken in the bank account. And oh my God, like, how am I going to be this radio personality and get through this? There were days where I would literally go to work and go back home and literally just drink myself to sleep. And I did that for months. And it took me, I mean, I want to say to semi be able to even smile again. It was like 10 months. And I remember being so sad because Nashville was such a great city and I wish that I could have gone back there and enjoyed that city, like not being heartbroken because it's a really fucking cool place. What's like interesting too is like I had a, a, a really great therapist there that I had actually had in Memphis and he'd moved to Nashville and I was like, I found him there and I was like, oh my God, I'm going back because he was, he was one of the only ones except for the one I have now that I really connected with. He had his offices right next to the reception hall where we were supposed to get married. <laughs> so it was, it was like, I don't know. It was just like emotional, like pain all over there. And when I think about it now, it's almost like I've blacked out about that period in my life because it's almost like re not reliving the new memories, but it's all stuff that I've buried a little bit. Um, but if it helps you, I want to give you this. Like I slowly, slowly started coming back into myself I really don't feel like I was my true self until about five years later. Um, but I remember the first moment that I was able to envision myself semi being whole again. I, I wasn't dating. I don't know. Like we we're deciding if we we're going to date, getting to know each other, this dude that was in Texas and he had flown in to see me and, you know, he was in like Christian radio, so he didn't really drink that much. So we were trying to find things, you know, cause I drank at the time, obviously we were trying to find things other, you know, physical and fun to do. So we went to a ropes course, you know, ones where they hook you up with all the gear and it's around your waist and you're just like, like Peter Pan up in the trees and you're holding on to like ropes and tubes and all that stuff. And I wasn't really that athletic then, you know, I wasn't, you know, a lifter and like a rawr, go getter, like anything the boys can do, I can do better type person. I was still you know, weak in mind and weak in spirit, I guess you could say, but I wanted to do this course. And I remember being so fucking scared because it's like, like you go through like a ladder and then you have to walk a tightrope and then it goes into like the advanced portion, which of course I wasn't going to back down. I still had that in me and that's important to remember in a second. 
I still had that fight buried really deep in there. So there, when we walked up to this course that was, you know, 20 feet in the air, like, you know, you're not going to get hurt because if you fall, you're just going to bounce there and they come get you off. But I knew for me, like if I fell, I wasn't going to get back on. So when we were walking up, they were saying, who wants to go first? And I walked up right away. And I remember the dude that I was with, you know, the whatever, like I was like, okay, well, it wasn't about impressing him, which was funny. Cause you would think, cause at the time I was like, Oh, maybe this is my guy. Maybe this was the reason that sure shit wasn't. Um, but I remember I need to go first because if I see somebody fall, it, it's going to get into my head. And I'm still like this with lifting with everything else. When I get into my own head, that's the dangerous spot. When I tell myself I can't do something, sometimes I will listen. But then again, do I ever really? You got to be careful what you let your mind tell you because everybody has the angel and the devil on their shoulder. And a lot of times that devil Riley would speak to me louder than the angel would. But this day I was like, I'm going to get there and I'm do it first off. And I remember balancing on this thing and I can still see it in my head right now. Like just going like, pew, like I went through that sucker so fast. And there was one point where I like jostled and I was like, Oh God, I'm not going to fall. I am not going to fall. And I remember being so Zen in the moment telling myself like brace your core. Hold on. Don't jostle. Don't freak out. Give it a second. It'll stop. Boom. Keep going. It's funny now that I can remember having that moment because I do that so much now when I was giving birth to Malin it was like I felt every fucking bit of those contractions with Lyric. I was induced and I didn't feel a damn thing. And I remember telling myself literally as I was giving birth, going through like the schematics in the form of a deadlift, like a heavy lift, like, okay, shoulders back, lats engaged, abs, look forward, don't round your back, pick it up, squeeze your butt, abs, 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 put it down, don't round your back. Like literally as I was breathing through these contractions, I was able to center myself that way. And I've noticed that a lot of times when I'm moving through things of fear, no matter what they are, whether it's a ropes course or mending my heart or financial worries or betrayal or whatever, I always keep tight to that motion, that, that notion that I was, it's funny to me, I'm realizing this now that like I had it even then before I ever learned any of this about lifting and what, you know, physical fitness does for your mental. But I got over that little jostle. And for some reason it was like this damn ropes course was like the new map for my life. Like if I didn't get through this, I wasn't going to get through shit. So I kept going and then it came to the part of the course where you're done like, like walking it and you have to like crawl through these tubes in the air. Like the tubes that you would see at a kid's like playground that they run in and out. Like they were just hanging there and you had to go from one to another and they were separated by like a little bit of nothingness. So you were latched on too, but I don't remember how that worked. I think it went to the side or there was like a hole in the top that it could like slide through. But essentially you're like, Oh God, like how bad would that suck to be like trying to get your footing on hands and knees and then you fall through whether you're roped in or not. Like uh, that was too jarring for me. (laughs) And I remember this dude was at the bottom, like hitting on me. The dude that worked there, he was like, Oh, you like, I don't know. He was just being douchey. And I remember being so annoyed at like, bruh, I'm sweating. I'm trying to get through my life's path and you're fucking hitting on me. And I remember thinking of him as just like a distraction. 
you are a little distraction and I will not let you veer me off my course because you think you're going to get my number if you do so. And what's also funny is the dude behind me all of a sudden like ended up like being like, oh, like he was all protective or something and he ended up being a douche, but I digress. So I got through that part and then I was like a rocket. Like I was just going, going, going and I got through it and I was just internally like clapping for myself because I was so brokenhearted, but it was the first time that I felt alive since somebody had ripped my soul out for me. And not only did they rip it out, but I handed it to them. And from that day on, I still had horrible, sad days. But I held on to that feeling because shortly thereafter, I got the offer to go to Atlanta. And I remember thinking like, I don't want to do this again. I can't go to a new city and be brokenhearted and experience or, you know, or like go do, what if it was a great city and I did what I did to Nashville and like, I don't experience it. And I just go through life like a, like, like a, a corpse living, but dead. And I remember my bosses then telling me like, you can't not go. You can't turn this down. And that was the biggest leap I'd ever done in radio. Like even bigger than the first one, moving from Florida to Michigan, knowing nobody in February. This was the biggest heart jump I'd taken. Because I was like, you know, my heart was walking on crutches. I'd just gotten out of the wheelchair and I was walking on crutches at that point. Or living, my heart was beating on crutches, whatever you want to say. And I did it and I was still very brokenhearted for years. And I don't mean to scare you for this person that asked this question, but really Riley, like I would put on my engagement ring and send pictures of it to my friends and just be a drunken crying mess for years. And I don't know that those years are wasted because like I said, when I got to the space where I did a lot of inner work that when it came time to, you know, marry my person and be with my person. And I'm still working through a lot of trauma because you do. But I call it the trauma monster sometimes because when that rears its ugly head, I've been through it. So I'm sort of able to pinpoint the things that trigger me and know and explain. And it changed me in so many ways for the better. Like, thank you, Christina Aguilera. Thanks for making me a fighter. Because like, after you breathe that first sigh of relief of, okay, I got this, we got this, or even just the tiniest little flicker of that flame, you somewhere in your psyche, even if your mind doesn't tell you at that moment, you're, you're going to get it there. You're going to be okay. I don't know that time heals all wounds, but it definitely cuts the bleeding and you have that scar to remember how strong you are. And that is so fucking cheesy, but it's really true. So when I moved into that apartment in Atlanta, like I was kind of depressed because it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And I got it sight unseen. And I remember walking in there when I moved to Atlanta and right before I moved to Atlanta, I had to go pick up my freaking wedding dress. And I loved that dress. And I had my mom take it back to Florida with her because I didn't want it in my new apartment. I didn't want that juju. 
And that was a good move on me because I remember I kept the engagement ring. Well, the years later, I remember when I, I was pregnant with Lyric and I was like, it's time. This is a new phase in my life and it's time to move on and it's time to get rid of all these old ghosts. Because as much as I love jewelry, y'all know that, I do believe that certain pieces like carry a soul with it. They carry a story and the story on that was just ick. And I was pregnant. I needed a new car because I had a Mustang and damn, I missed that Mustang. Her name was Jasmine. Someday I'll have another one. Lyric always tells me my son, he's like, oh, I'm going to buy you the best Mustang ever. He's so cute. Um, but I was like, if I'm going to get a new car, I wanted to get a nice one. And I was like, I'm going to sell this ring. And it was, you know, freaking two carat rock. And it was worth a lot of money. I was like, I'm going to sell this ring. So I remember always thinking like one day I am going to get rid of it, but I want it to mean something because I loved that ring so much. And I actually paid for that ring side note too. That's probably why I loved it so much. That's another story for another time. Um, but I decided to turn it in to get the BMW that I'm still driving today <laughs> with dents and all. But at that time, that was like a huge purchase. I ended up getting like a really big deal on it because of a radio friend deal, whatever. And I remember selling that ring to somebody off of Craigslist, which I don't recommend now, but I met him at a, like a, you know, a public place. We met at like a place where there was like a bank so that I could take the money and deposit it right away. And I remember him looking at it and I had the appraisal for it. And he was so excited because he was a dude that like really couldn't afford that ring, but I was selling it for like half of what, not even half, like a third of what it was worth. And I remember like him being so excited and thinking like, okay, I don't want to give him this ring with all this bad juju on it. But he was so excited that in that moment, I felt like a lot of that lifted away. And I was happy that this ring that I had loved so much could take that love and be on somebody else's finger that would love it as much as I did. And I felt so much closure in that moment. And I never got closure from that person. Not that I want it at all anymore, but I was able to find that closure in myself and although that I was still very broken in a lot of ways, I found these little pockets of strength that got me through it. And my advice is like, don't dwell on the time it takes you to get over it, but feel what you need to feel when you need to feel it. Like I suppressed a lot of it because that's what I did in my radio career. You know, I had to keep it going and it was fine to tell the story and connect with people. But after that, you had to turn it on. And sometimes that was good for me because it got me through the shit. Like if I didn't have my job, I probably would not have been in a very safe place. You know, um, I think I, it's important for me to note that because a lot of times I've had a lot of toxicity in radio too, and it became a very ugly thing. But there was a lot of times where it saved me, just like this podcast does now. So I would say... If you can go on a ropes course, do it. If you can take yourself out of your comfort zone, do it. People always tell you that, but it's it does, it's it's so hokey because it's just like if you find something new that you love or taking yourself out of your comfort zone, it's like for that hour and a half that I was up there on that ropes course, I couldn't think of anything other than that, than what I was doing. It was a goal. It was a means to an end, an A to B to C. It wasn't an A of like, oh God, what's going to happen? A B of like, oh my God, this could happen or that could happen. Blah, blah, blah. It was a straightforward, like, this is what's happening. If you can find some of that, I recommend it because the more times you can give your mind a break from the hurt, the more you're going to heal. 
But also those crying days, those days where you just want to sit in a bowl of ice cream, you know, or maybe you get fit. Like I did that later when I was depressed about being a single mom that was broke. <laughs> um, it's a journey. It's not a destination. So you can't expect to really like get over it. And then that's it. It's not linear at all. There's a lot of things that still scar me from that. And I don't know the backstory of your relationship, but I do know that if you give your heart the chance to heal, it absolutely will. And God willing, end up better than ever. So I didn't mean to go on an entire tangent on just that one Ask Riley, because that's how I ended up not being able to answer as many as I'd like to. But um, let's go into another one. Um, Riley, what do you do when... Oh, when you know someone has a problem with addiction and you want to tell them, but you can't. Okay. Um, I have a lot of experience with this. And here's the thing about addiction. There is no changing for someone else. You know, even though you watch all those shows and there's that, um, what's the ultimatum one? Um, intervention. I used to love that show. That, you know, you give them the ultimatum and then all of a sudden they go to rehab and everything's okay. Like, yeah, that does work. Like when you're trying to tell somebody like, I'm not going to support you through your addiction. If you're like, if you're the person that's enabling them, I do believe in that. But it's also like, if, if you're, if you're just like an outside friend, just understand that what you do or don't do is not going to change the the trajectory of what they decide to do with their sobriety or their life or getting well. If they want to do it, they're going to do it for themselves. They're going to get the help. Sure, you can nudge them in that way, but addiction's a very ugly monster and it changes people or brings out the inner hurt in someone that is there. Maybe it doesn't change them. Maybe it just brings out the bad parts of them that are sitting inside. So most people that get a mirror held in front of them that they don't want to see that drunken monster or that strung out monster or that abusive monster in the mirror that you're putting in front of them. They want to smash that mirror. You know, and I'm not saying that, you know, you tell your friend that you you think that they've got a problem, but they're not going to like it. And I'm not saying don't say anything because that sometimes could be enabling in itself. But understand that the response that you're going to get may not be at all what you want. You could lose a friendship over that. Like I, you know, even getting sober, sometimes people won't go back to the people because they're embarrassed. You know, AA is a situation where like you have to go through and like, right, you know, not write out a list, but like say you're, you have a, you have an I'm sorry list. It's like Arya Stark in Game of Thrones, but instead it's the other way around where it's like some people you want to make men's with. And sometimes you don't make that list if you're the person that brought them there because they might still be bitter or they might still, you know, be embarrassed. Like I said, because a lot of times when they give their addiction, whatever they're addicted to was their best friend. It was their therapist. It was their confidant. And you're the person that brought it to light that they had to give it up. You know, it's the same thing as like when you, you know, somebody walks up to your boyfriend, you and says your boyfriend's an asshole or your boyfriend's not treating you well and you need to do something differently. Some people don't want to hear that. So you have to gauge what it is you want to do. And I'm not saying do nothing. I'm just saying that the reality of it is in their mind, you might be the bad guy for a minute, but you know, with great power comes great responsibility. That's like one of the only movie lines that I ever go to. So it's like, if you're going to be the friend that saves them, and you might be, 
just understand that you might not be the hero in the end for them, but you will have helped someone. You will have helped a life get better if, you know, either which way it goes. I mean, you could also go to their family if you're close to them like that. But sometimes when it goes to like the he said, she said telephone game, because you don't know what their family is going to say either. Are they going to defend them? Are you going to just be the bad guy all around? You really have to take stock in all of that and just be prepared. Again, I have to, I have to, I have to, I have to give a lot of grace with this answer because if you say nothing, you can't be blamed either because some people just, do you want that backlash? Because it depends on what your position is. Were you really able to help and is it worth you getting the wrath of them to try and help them? I don't know. It depends on your relationship with them. I will say that there's lots of times that I regret not saying something and I have to live with that forever. But I do know had I said something, it wouldn't have mattered anyway. So I hope I answered that one a little bit. <laughs> it's not a very roundabout, but I'm not a guru and I always just try to answer from the heart. And that's kind of the best I can answer that one. <laughs> um, this one came up on Ask Riley a couple of times. Um, somebody said... Do you ever get worried about Malin that he's not in daycare, that he won't acclimate socially to other kids very well? I, I mean, this is, I hope that wasn't being mean. I don't think it was at all because this person's never been that way on Instagram. I guess maybe I'm also very sensitive to being, you know, told last week that I was a racist and all that business. Um, no, I'm not concerned. So I will say this, like, first of all, he's only two, not even two and a half. Lyric didn't go into daycare until he was just over three. And I'd like to keep him home as long as possible, just especially, maybe not as long as possible, but I mean, I just, I don't think he's ready right now. And also like you guys don't always see every single thing on Instagram, even though I share a shit ton, you know, he does have a lot of kids in the neighborhood his age. He has a lot of little cousins that are ex his exact age around here. He, you know, it's not like he doesn't have interaction. He was a pandemic baby, but he was like a baby baby through the tail end of the pandemic that he was around for, you know? So I, I'm not worried right now. No, I will say this. He was our rainbow baby. We lost one before him. So during my pregnancy, I was not allowing myself to be paranoid at all. But after he was born, I started getting paranoid around five, six, seven months because by like five months, he was like, he had a couple of words. Maybe not five months, maybe like nine. You know, like he had dada, mama, like saying them with intent to people. He would say pink. And then he just kind of stopped. Like wouldn't even look at you when you were trying to talk to him. Like, and he does that now. He was just, now we found out he's just ignoring us, but I was scared for a minute. So, you know, I was 39 when I had him. So I was afraid that there could have been something you know, off. And I wanted that if that was the case, okay, fine. You know, it's not like we would love him any differently, but we wanted to give him all the tools that we could as soon as possible. We didn't do that at nine months. We did that at about a year, almost a year and a couple of months, maybe a year and a half, because he wasn't really saying a lot. And that by that time, and I know you can't compare your children because they were so different and it's so true. It's hard not to though, when you're mom of two and you're worried and you know, the mom guilt sets in whatever, like his lyric had a lot of words. He had a couple like three word sentences at one. Um, 
And Malin just wasn't even looking at us. He would stare past us sometimes, and I was scared. So we did the steps, and we contacted um, Children and Families, which is, you know, the agency that can come out for free through your insurance, I think, and evaluate them. So we first, they said, go get his ears checked because he had had back-to-back really bad ear infections. And what sucks is, like, it was always on the weekend that we would find it, and my husband would take him to urgent care, which wasn't the best because twice they would say, oh, well, no, it's not infected. And then it would be full blown infected in one ear the next time. And then a start of an infection in the other. So, and, and we would do follow-ups too. So don't act like, oh, you just took him to urgent care. You know, no, we would take him to his pediatrician. And it would be okay. But I guess he had like, they took the biggest chunk of earwax out of one of his ears and that could have been something. So we had him take get his ear checks, pass the hearing test with flying colors then when children and families came out, he said, you know what? He's like responding the way that he should be. He's on track. He's a little bit slower than we would like, but he wasn't too yet. And that was like sort of their barometer for when not you should worry, but you should maybe check again. And this is the crapshoot that mothers put themselves through because I think a lot of times the scale is so off because every child is so damn different. The only thing that they said, you know, giving way to this question was he was a little socially, you know, off but that was really just because Malin is a little mean mugger and if he don't want to do something he don't want to do something screw you no I I'm I'll do it on my time <laughs> no idea where he gets that from I mean because now literally in the last two weeks he's developed like 20 words and sentences and he says motorcycle lyric never said motorcycle I sound so stupid for four syllables like lyric wasn't didn't have that ability I mean granted he goes motor da 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 <laughs> if there's ever a word that's like more than more than he can say he just puts that da, 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 at the bottom like helicopter he goes copter and when I try and say helicopter he goes hello da, 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 da. like you know so no I'm not concerned about him not being around people or that circumstance socially because Malin is a kid that completely hissy fits. Like for a while we were concerned because when he would hissy fit, he would headbutt his head against the wall or whatever he could because he recognized that that would get a reaction. But since Lyric never did that or my niece and nephews never did that, I'd never seen a baby that I was around do that. I was concerned. Like, what is this? He's just feisty. Or that's what the doctors told us. Like if it continues past a certain age, then relook at it again. But that's dissipated. But now he's just turned to screaming (laughs) and clocking his dad. And he's got a punch, man. He doesn't do that to me, but he will cold clock Marshall like Jiminy Christmas. We're in for it later. Um, but long story short, no, I'm not super concerned about the social skills. I am a little scared when I take him to preschool because I don't want him to grow up that fast, but also because Lyric was very acclimated to having change because I was a single mother for him. And he literally at six, seven weeks was around a stranger. And then, you know, he had one nanny for that was amazing for you know a year and a half and she was so incredible she even moved up to dc with us for a month um to get us acclimated because she was in between apartments and could do it but then you know he was very used to you know the here there and everywhere because we had two nannies in between there because one was a psycho and i you know then got another one that was amazing but then when she left us i was like okay well now it's probably time for like pre-k or like the program and we went to an amazing school that I felt super comfortable. They were so fucking pricey and I kind of went into debt to have him there, but I was, you know, very scared of not giving him the best care that I could. Um, 
let me not be dramatic. I didn't like go into debt for it. If I hadn't had debt from other things, it wouldn't have been as bad. And I ended up working it out. It all does work out. Um, but he was fine. Like I remember I took the day off and that was when I was on the Kane show and that was like, you didn't do that. Like you, I, I was the voice, one of the voices behind the mic. You couldn't do that. And you know, I ended up, I was like, I need to be there with him for like the first two days. And the first day I was like sitting there and they're kind of like, okay, well, you know, you can go. And I was like, oh, I, I can. I was like, let me just sit. I had brought my lunch. I was ready to sit there with him all day. I left and then I came back and he was fine. So I was like, okay, we got this. And then the next day I took him and it was almost like when, like my sister told me once when she went skydiving the first time, she was like, oh, okay, this is great. And she wasn't scared. And then when she went to do it again, then she was flipped out because she knew what to expect. I think that was Lyric because the second day he flipped his shit. And I was like, oh God, I'm a terrible mom. So with Malin, am I afraid of that couple of days? Yeah, because he's 100% going to flip out. Like Malin's the one that they'll call and be like, take your care, we can't handle him. I'm hoping that once the words come even more that he will calm the tempers of down. Like uh, when people used to say the terrible twos, I was like, yeah, right. Lyric didn't have any of that. He had terrible fours and fives. Malin, he's every bit. He's the twoiest of two. Like Jiminy. Good God. I love him. And he's the most adorable thing ever. When that baby is pissed, whew, the whole universe going, no, it's like happy wife, happy life. It's like when Malin's not happy, nobody's happy. <laughs> But yeah, no, I'm not really worried about him. Like you do it, what you can as a parent. You love them. You keep them fed. You nurture their little wants and dreams and who they are as people. And you hope you do a great job. Like, and there's a lot more in it than that. But at the base of it, that's what it is. You got to do what you feel right as a mom, as a dad, as a caretaker, whatever the, whatever you want to say as a parent, it, like you have to do what you feel is right. And only you know that. So... No, not really worried about it. I'll check back. Like, I'm sure there will be an emotionally filled podcast when he goes to preschool for the first time. But we're going to hold off on all that because <laughs> it's been an emotional year, friends. Um, big things coming up. I can't wait until tomorrow. I have the top golf event, the charity event I'm involved in for um, Officer TJ Bomba. I think there's still times to get tickets if you want to. There's a link in my bio that you can check it out. It's going to be from six to nine at Top Golf Germantown. I can't wait. Um, the hubby gets to come. We got a sitter. So it's the first date night that we've had. And I don't know, a very long time, four months, five months, whatever. I'm excited. Um, I have another pop-up coming up at the end of July, this time in Virginia. And then I just booked something in Baltimore later this year, but I'm excited. I'm like getting things rolling because a lot of you guys have said like, we really want to meet you. We want to see you. And I do too. I miss y'all. Um, so that's, I'm lots of good things coming up. I'm very hopeful and been working like a dog on some of the products that I want to give as perks of the subscription service that I've been telling you about for four months, but I'm trying to get it together and get it right. And don't worry, really Riley is always going to be free, but in the subscription service, if you want some of the perks, like, you know, the merch and getting episodes before other people and getting, you know, bonus video footage and also some bonus like features I want to do. Um, I'm excited about some of these, uh, but yeah, I'm going to have that up probably within the week. So lots of good things. And always questions, comments, concerns, hit me up really rally podcast at gmail.com. 
Text line is 410-604-8895. Um, socials at Riley Couture, at Really Riley Podcast, and at House of W by Riley for all of the merchy merch stuff that I've got or my candles and my drinkware and all that. Appreciate you guys for listening. I hope you have a great couple of days and I will talk to you on Friday. It's Really Riley. <laughs>